Thank you, Gabe. Well, uh, good morning. If it's your first morning uh, to be with us, uh, you picked a good morning to come. We're starting a brand new series, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, not being picture perfect. I think there's a lot of pressure in our culture to present the perfect relationship or the perfect family or the perfect whatever. My life is totally together. And then and then it's not, and you feel the pressure of that. You, you want to present something and it be real, but it's, it's not. We all would say that one of our highest values is, is authenticity and integrity and all those kind of things, and yet uh, it's very easy to keep uh, our home life separate. You know, we don't let people know, or we keep our married life separate, or we keep our deal with our mom or dad or with our kids separate, or we keep uh, different things. We keep it private. And again, I'm not against privacy for sure. I, I'm not, a, I mean... When Julia and I uh, first had kids, uh, we, we prayed real hard that our kids would grow up to love the church. We knew a lot of preacher's kids who did not love the church. It was very hard to be uh, in everybody's eyes all the time. You make a mistake, everybody knew about it and, and talked about it, and we didn't want that to be the case for our kids. And so we kind of kept them a little more private maybe than, than some do. And, 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 and certainly when I came to, to preaching, I wouldn't use them in the sermon, I wouldn't talk about them unless I asked their permission ahead of time. Um, and, uh, and that's hard, because sometimes they would say no, and it was a really funny thing, and I would like to use it, but I, but I couldn't. And, you know, I have to give a 2,500-word oral report every week to you guys, and, and sometimes it would be cool to squeeze that in there. It was such a good thing, and it would be funny to really make my point. And, and we just made that our rule, that if they didn't agree, I wouldn't do it. Because I didn't want it to be something where they hated coming to church, where somebody, everybody teased them. Well, I heard about you last week, and they'd all be laughing. And I just didn't want it to be that kind of thing. I, I didn't want them to, I wanted them to be able to have home life that was home, and then church that was church. My mom was a, a public school teacher in the same high school that I went to. And I don't think there's any public teachers, are there any school teachers in today? Not very many. There was a lot in first service. They're all in first service. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but anyway, but the, um, we had a rule there too that even though we went to the same school, I was going to the same school mom taught out, we couldn't talk about stuff that happened at home. Mom didn't want the students to know anything about her when we were at school. They did home life is home, school life is school. And it wasn't like we were doing crazy things at home, but, but it was just this is private. You know, I don't want people coming and say, oh, I heard about you. I heard what you did, and I don't want any of that. So we just learned to keep it, keep it behind, right? Now, with social media, it's a challenge for a lot of people because everybody's got a pulpit now. And while I only can talk to three or 400 people on a Sunday, you, you can talk to everybody in the whole world whenever you want to. And I, and I see sometimes a temptation there to, to put some unflattering picture of somebody else in the family or uh, can you believe what my my spouse did or can you leave what my kids did and, and put it out there and just advertise it. And it's getting harder and harder and harder to keep everything separate. And yet people do. And yet people do. If they post a picture on their, on their deal, it'll be of a, the whole family sitting on the beach. It won't be of the whole family arguing in the car on the way to the beach, right? It'll be, it'll be of everything looking perfect. If we post anything out there, we want to give our best image all the time. Some people might post a picture which says no filter, like they didn't do anything to it, but they might have taken 30 pictures and picked the best one of those 30 to put out there, no filter, because they wanted to make sure they present their best self. And it's so hard to keep our private stuff private. And it makes it hard to judge where we're doing and how we're doing. I like to, I like to judge how I'm doing compared to somebody else, but I don't see everything else that they got. They're only putting their best part out. So I'm judging my insides against their outsides. 
I'm judging what I know about myself against what I think I know about them, but I don't know everything about them because we all hide we all hide that stuff. I can see the great vacation they took, but I don't get to see all the credit card bills that came with it. Or I can see uh, a family having a great time at a, at a restaurant or whatever, but I don't see the arguments. I don't see the stuff that goes on. And so I might think they have it all together. Boy, I wish I could have what they have, but they don't, I don't see everything they have because none of us do. And, um, and the idea for this whole topic camp a few weeks ago I was in a small group and I was talking with some people and 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 one of them just said something along the lines of I just wish my family was normal and there is no normal (laughs) there just is no normal and I think that's a hard thing to get a hold of and it's a hard thing to accept but it's but it's the truth there is no normal John Ortberg wrote a book several years ago called everybody's normal until you get to know them and I thought that was a clever title and, uh, and he says in the book, he opens his book by talking about how some stores will have an as-is section in their store. And the as-is section, if you go back there, the only rule is you can buy it, but once you buy it, there's no refunds. If you buy something in the as-is section, you can't get your money back. You're stuck with it once you buy it. And he said people are kind of like that. If you go back in that section of the store, uh, there's, us, there's something else that's not being said, but it's true. The guys who own the store know something's wrong with it, but they're not going to tell you what it is. They're not going to tell you what's wrong. You've got to figure it out yourself. And they say, we know something's wrong with this, and we know you'll find it. And when you do, don't come crying back to us. There's no refunds. So sooner or later, after you buy it, you'll say, well, this doesn't start just right, or this zipper doesn't work, or there's a spot over here. Where'd this scratch come from? And they knew it all along. They knew it was dinged and damaged. They knew it was broken, but they didn't, but you didn't know, so they warned you. We're not going to tell you what the problem is, just as is. And people are as is. People come that way. They all have issues. Nobody's normal. They're all hiding stuff. And sooner or later, if you hang out with them long enough, You'll stumble across it, because we all do. As a speaker, it's a lot of fun to go to some other church and speak, or to a camp or a conference. As a speaker, it's fun to go and, and to teach, and people will come to you afterwards and say, man, that was so smart. You know, your church must be so lucky to have you, but they don't know me, right? They assume that I'm doing everything in there. And the better that people know me, the less they want to hear me preach. It is very rare that Julia or the kids will say, Dad, won't you preach to us this evening? Very rare that they'll toss that out in a conversation. we just love to hear you preach again. That was so good, what we heard last time. They don't want to hear it because they know who I am, right? And the more you know somebody, the less you want to hear them preach. They seem so normal when they were separate, but now that I get to know them a little better, they don't seem quite as normal. Sometimes a famous person, maybe a politician or, or an actor or a musician, uh, will, will do something public that's embarrassing. You know, maybe they'll uh, be a big divorce trial and all the dirty laundry's coming out, or, or maybe it'll be a, a one of them will slap one another on the, on the stage of an Oscars. That could happen. Or maybe uh, some, some ugly thing will creep out, right? And, and, and people will say, well, I had no idea. They just seem so normal. I had no idea they were dealing with all that stuff, but there are no normal. There is no normal. Uh, in the Bible, God picks one family, picks Abraham. says, Abraham, out of all the families on earth, I've picked you to be my chosen family. You're going to bless the whole world. And Abraham's family was a mess. And the Bible records all of it. If uh, Abraham uh, had another woman, had a child with another woman, and 
And when his wife uh, saw the other child growing up and that Abraham liked the other child, he said, you got to get rid of him. And so he did. And so he did. And he lied and he, he cheated at different times. Uh, he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac played favorites with his kids. He liked one kid better than the other. And those two kids, because of that, fought. And they fought so hard and they fought so intensely that one of them finally had to run away and he stayed away for 20 years. But when that one who had to run away had kids of his own, did the same thing. He played favorites. He had one son named Joseph and he says, you're my very favorite. I'm going to give you a special coat that no one else has to let everybody know you're my very favorite. And his brothers hated him so much they sold him to slaves. Uh, I mean, it's just broken. If you read Abraham's story and the story about him and his kids and his grandkids, a lot of adultery, a lot of cheating, a lot of murder. It's just, it's violent. And they're broken. And this is the family that God chose out of all the families, right, to be his very own. I have said before in other lessons, the only parents that Adam and Eve had was God. And yet Adam and Eve were a mess. It doesn't really matter totally how great a parent you are. Sometimes you'll do just such a great job parenting, and the kids will be broken. Or maybe the kids will be awesome, and the parents are a mess. But I promise, there's brokenness all around. It's just the nature of us. We're an as-is group. And so what I want to talk about in this series is how we improve in the midst of that. Right? If you're in a, in a somewhat uh, dysfunctional situation, if you're in a somewhat broken uh, place, if, you're in a, if your family is not a family of the year, your mom and dad, not mom or dad of the year, uh, how can you deal with that? If your kids are a mess, I'd like to have you raise your hand. I mean, you have kids who are a mess. I won't do it because your kids are sitting beside you. But, but, but I mean, if that's the case, how do you manage that? How do you figure that out? If your neighbors hate you, if your coworkers are all knuckleheads, how do you handle it? When, when people are broken and what can you do to make it better. And that's what this whole series is about. And starting today, we're going to look at one verse. And it's this one. Now, it's curious to me which verses become popular. Some of them, uh, you, it makes all the sense in the world. Like John 3.16, the whole gospel is in John 3.16. God loved the whole world. He gave his son for it uh, to, so we can go to heaven. Makes sense. Easy verse to memorize. Uh, there's a verse like Romans 8.28. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So even if bad things happen, God's going to work for the good. Makes me feel better to think about a verse like that. But then there's other verses, in my opinion, just real classics that, that a lot of people don't know or don't kind of get in their head. And this is one of those. It's an easy one, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. If you, could, if you could take this verse and memorize it and make it your life motto, your, your family will improve, your, your marriage will improve, your, your, your kids and parent relationships will all improve. It, it, now, when it was written there in Romans 14, he's talking about church relationships, but the, but the, but the, the, the principle works no matter what you apply it to. This word accept just means to welcome. It just means to welcome, right? I'm, I'm pulling for you. You know, you, uh, I might be driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I'm all mad and ticked off about it and I'm wanting to say bad words and I'm wanting to pass them again. But, but, but maybe when the person passes me, as they get around me there, they kind of look back and wave and I know them, right? Now, half a second before I'm mad, but now that I know them, I say, oh, well, they're probably in a hurry, you know, or they probably got someplace to go. I immediately excuse it. I was ticked off a second ago. Now, oh, he always drives like that, crazy dude. And, and, you, and you put it out of your head. You don't get mad about it. You, you immediately forgive it. You immediately excuse it. All that's kind of wrapped up in this word accept. 
doesn't mean that you can't call a spade a spade. If, if, if somebody's doing something wrong, you're allowed to notice it, and you're even allowed to talk about it. But, but, but this accept thing means I'm for you. You know, I'm not just putting up with you, but I'm, I'm pulling for you. I, I, I want you to succeed. I want you to come out ahead. I want you to, uh, to win. It's more than just tolerating somebody. Uh, Bertrand Russell said people want to be liked and not just endured with a patient resignation. People want to be liked. And, so, and that's what you want. That's what you want in your relationships. Sometimes Christians will say things like, uh, you've got to love, uh, the, 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 love the, hate the sin, but love the sinner. You, you, you love the sinner, but you hate the sin. We'll, we'll say things like that. But no one wants to be on the receiving end of that kind of thing. No one wants to be on the, on the, on the receiving end. You know, Joseph, I, I like you, but you're a greedy bum. You know, or Joseph, I like you, but you're just proud all the time. Or Joseph, I like you, but I wish you wouldn't do whatever. I mean, no one wants to be on the receiving You're not a greedy bum. I, don't, I, don't know, I hope no one thinks that about you. But, I mean, no one wants to be on the receiving end of that, right? No one wants to be on the receiving end of that. I like you, but I just barely put up with you. No one wants that. I, I want to be liked. I want to know that you're for me. And now, if you're in a family... If you're, if you're in a marriage, if, you, if you're in a, 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 a workplace that's, that's bigger than just one or two people, I'm confident there's people there who rub you wrong. I'm confident there's people there who have made you mad and maybe even done some things that are pretty significant to make you mad. And you're, not, you're allowed to say something. You're allowed to have the conversation. You're allowed to, be, to make judgment about it. But what you're not allowed to do is just to quit on that person. I know I've... This whole sermon is going to be like a greatest hit sermon, and I'm sorry about that, but this is kind of a, a sore point with me, and I know I bring it up a lot, but it just, you know, during the last two years, uh, people kind of lost their minds on social media, and I saw uh, at least a half a dozen people that I know who posted on social media, if we disagree about this mask deal, or if we disagree about this vaccination deal, we can't be friends anymore, and I just think, what a crazy thing that is. Who could be so friend-rich that they can just toss friends away? You know, if we disagree about who could love Trump or Biden enough to lose a friend for either one of them? I, I, just, I just couldn't imagine that being true. And yet I saw people doing it all the time. I mean, if we disagree on this one thing, then don't even talk to me again. And I just think that's crazy because that's not how family does. That's not how we're supposed to be, and no one wants to be on the receiving end of that. Well, I guess I better agree with them on everything, or they're going to kick me out. I mean, no. I mean, and again, you can disagree politely. You, you, you can let them know that you don't totally dig everything that they're doing, but, but we never lose that acceptance thing. We never lose that, that, um, that kindness. We listen to people with patience and, and compassion. It's, again, like getting passed by somebody you know. You're not mad. You, you, you believe in them. You know, a lot of times in the groups that people join, any group, that they, a little league team, there's certain expectations. If you're going to be part of our little league team, you've got to come and this practice, and you've got to go up to the games, and you've got to do this, this a 4-H club, a, a Kiwanis or Lions club. If, 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 if I want to join almost any organization, there's, if I want to join Sam's Club, I've got to pay dues. You've got to pay in this membership fee, and as long as you pay the membership fee and you stay in good standing, then you can be part of our club. That's what Sam's Club tells me. And so I, if I want to join, then I pay a little fee out there, and as long as I pay my fee, we're all okay. Almost every club in the world works that way. 
Here's what we expect out of you. You do these things, you can come along. Except for the church. Man, in the church, you don't have to believe to belong. You may not believe a lot of the different things that we talk about, but you're still welcome here. And and that's the model we're supposed to have. Not just in this place, but for all of us. You know, we may not agree on every last thing, but you're welcome here. I, I, I love you. I'm, I'm pulling for you. One of my friends, when his first grandchild was born, held her in his hands, and he said, you don't know this, but you can have everything I own. Right? Um, I'm sure she's less cute as she has gotten bigger. But when she was here, whatever you want. And it's like when you get married, a bride and groom are on the stage, and everybody's beautiful, everybody's pretty. <laughs> Daddy's rich, mama's good looking, and we're all on the stage there, and I'll do whatever. I'll be there for whatever. Rich, poor, sick, health, whatever. I'm there, no matter what. And it's easy to say it then because everybody's so beautiful, but they won't be as beautiful all the time. A real love doesn't depend on a little baby. It doesn't depend on everybody being perfect. It, it, I'm with you. So that's the first part of that verse. That's what that word accept means. The other word there is the word weak. I want to focus on that. Just implicit in the, in the sentence there. If I say, hey, be good to the weak, it's implying that I think you're strong. Right? If I say to you, hey, be good to the weak, it means, it means I think you're strong. So when Paul tosses this verse out, uh, he, he's, he's assuming that the guys reading it are, are on the right side of things. So, but I don't know where you're at. Some people feel like they're pretty strong in their faith. Other people just barely hanging on. And I don't know where you're at in that. You've got to kind of self-evaluate. This verse may not apply to you 100%. Maybe you feel like you're just barely hanging on. You're not strong at all. Uh, But for those of you who feel like you've got a couple things figured out, I mean, you don't have it all together. You're not super saint, but you've got a couple things. You're basically good people, right? If, you, if somebody were to ask you, you'd say, yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm mostly good people. I mean, you, you try to do the right things. If you're one of those and you're strong, this verse says you've got an obligation to cater to the weak. You've got an obligation to, to reach down to the weak. The burden for this thing is always on the strong. It's, it's always on the strong. The burden for this thing is always for the person who has the most power the most money, the most intelligence, the most spiritual depth, the most whatever, the most. Whoever's got the most, they've got an obligation to, 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 to help out the person who may be a little bit further behind. Now, sometimes we lose this. Let's start with church. Especially in church, sometimes the strong people in church can look down their nose at people who don't have it all figured out. How can you still be making those same mistakes? How can you still be doing all those same stupid things? I thought, I thought you, you had it all figured out, as if there was anybody who had it all figured out, right? I thought, I thought we understood one another. And, 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 and sometimes people who are a little stronger in their faith can be kind of dismissive of somebody making a mistake, as if they would never do it, as if they would never make those same kinds of mistakes. I'm, I'm so far above and mature that I would never consider. Well, even if that's true, even if for whatever reason you have totally mastered yourself in whatever area it is, you have an even bigger obligation than to help somebody who doesn't have that figured out. I mean, you can't really escape this deal. If you're the, if you're the mess, <laughs> then you need to be listening for help from people who have it figured out. But if you've got a few things figured out, then you've got to be the one helping. 
You've got to be the one who reaches out. You've got to be the one who, who takes a step that way. And I, I think what Paul's assuming here is kind of what I'm assuming. If you're here at all, it's because you think that you're, you're, trying, to get the th- you're trying to move the right direction. So I would think this verse applies to almost everybody in here. And then one last word, uh, that word disputable. That word disputable is an important word. Sometimes the Bible says things, and, and, it, and it's real clear what the Bible, there's no misunderstanding it. The Bible says do this or don't do that, and, and then you know, right? There's no gray area. It tells you exactly what you should or should not do. Um, uh, uh, the alcohol is always an easy one to talk about for me on this conversation. There was a guy a long time ago who said, in essentials we show unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. What that means is in essentials, what the Bible talks about, we're going to be together. So the Bible says, don't be drunk. So uh, we'll teach that, don't be drunk. And if I were to find you drunk, I would try to help you get through that. I would, I would get you home, get you safe, and probably talk to you the next day. Is, is this really the direction you want your life to go? I mean, we'd probably have those. And it wouldn't be a mean conversation because, again, this verse, you accept the one whose faith, you don't make a deal about it, but it's not disputable. Okay, other things are disputable. Jesus drank wine. Jesus turned water into wine. I don't think I could stand up here and say, you're not ever allowed to drink because Jesus did drink. So I'm, I, I wouldn't make that the rule. Some churches do, and I'm not even judging those other churches that do, but, but we don't. Because I, I think you've got some room to wiggle there. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. There's some freedom. But in all things, charity. We won't let you bring beer to the church picnic. Right? You're allowed to drink a beer at home if you want to. But there might be somebody here who has a problem with it. So we're all going to take care of one another. We're all going to lean into one another. Even that idea is the strong taking care of the weak. If your faith is strong enough that you feel like you can do something that I don't feel like I can do, well, good for you. But, but, but when we're here together, we're going to love each other. We're going to take care of each other. And we're not going to dispute about it. And we're not going to argue or quarrel about it, especially on things that are disputable. And, and, and disputable is bigger than just um, um, the specific laws. Disputable is also how God feels about it. Um, a person said, uh, I, I read a, a book, a person said, uh, 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 I don't like going to church on Easter because, there's, because that's when all the hypocrites come back. The guys who only come once a year, they come on Easter, and I don't want to be there with all those hypocrites. And when he says that, the guy who says that, what he's saying is, I got no use for those kinds of people, and he's assuming that God has no use for those kinds of people either. But that's not really how God operates. God never gets tired of us. God knew exactly who you were when he took you on. He knew all your strengths, he knew all your weaknesses, and he still took you on. And even if you made bigger mistakes and did worse things, he loves you. God doesn't give up on us, we give up on God. God's always calling out. And when you look in the Bible, you see frequently God going after the very worst sort of people. He doesn't quit. So it's kind of disputable about whether God would ever just give up on somebody. I don't know that God ever does that, as long as we're breathing. I think you've got another chance to come back close to God, to get your life back with him. And so we're going to accept everyone, and especially those people whose faith is weak. And we're not going to quarrel about things that are disputable. This is what Paul says as a Christian we're all supposed to do. And if you could apply this verse to your life, it would improve every relationship that you have. It would make a few big changes. First, you would start to treasure people. Um, the, 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 
people matter to God. And they should matter to us. People matter to the Lord and, and they should matter to us. Sometimes we can be so dismissive or hateful to people. Uh, the kid who makes our food at, at the restaurant and they didn't get your order just right and you're just so ticked off about that and, uh, you know, let me see your manager and just hateful and mean. And, or, I'm, you know, I had, had one person who's a friend of mine and they would um, lay the tip out at the beginning, you know, like 7 or $8 bills there on the table. And if you were a little slow bringing the water back, they'd just pull $1 back and put it in their pocket. Just, you're, you're costing yourself a tip every moment. And, and it's, it's crazy how mean we are to folks. Uh, and we're not supposed to be that way. We're just not supposed to ever do that. And if you really applied this verse, well, you wouldn't do that to people. People would be more important to you than that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this here. He says, those who love a dream of Christian community more than the community they have will actually destroy the community. And that word for community you could use on a lot of things. Those who, who love their dream of what a family should be more than the family they have. Those who love their dream of what a marriage should be more than the marriage they have. Those who love their dream of whatever relationship it is more than the relationship they have. They're going to destroy any chance for it to do anything. Their, 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 their pride and their arrogance and their, and their hard heart is going to destroy any chance for it to go anywhere. And, and if you really applied that verse... You wouldn't do that. You, you, just, you just wouldn't. You'd look at it different. You'd look at people different. There's a Tim McGraw song that I really like, and it's been out for several years, but, but he talks about live like you were dying, and, and the plot of the song is that somebody finds out a bad cancer report, and they're going to die, and so they use the time they have left to, to go through their bucket list and do all the different things they ever wanted to do, and, and so the guy who was dying tells a friend of his who doesn't have that same diagnosis. I wish you could live like you were dying. I wish you lived like every moment was precious. And there's a line in the song that where he says, I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And, I, and it's just such a sad line because it's so, it's what people do. You're, you're so bitter and ticked off at that person. But if you knew they were about to die or you were about to die, you'd say something. You would. You'd, you'd oh, okay. Hey, we need to put this behind us before it's too late. Why would you wait until then? Why would you wait until the last possible second to deal with that? Just pride. Maybe it's a fear that they'll hurt you again, so you're going to wait until the very end so you can't get hurt again, so you'll take that risk. But it's a risk worth taking. If you really applied this verse, you would accept people for who they are and not for who they aren't. And you'd love them, even when they goofed up. You'd start to see your own rough edges. Um you'd start to see that maybe you're not perfect either. So first, I mean, you'd, you'd treasure people. People would matter to you. But then second, you would see your own rough edges. You'd start to see that you don't have it totally together either. Several years ago when I was in youth ministry, uh, one of the kids in the youth ministry that I had made a series of really bad, really bad decisions. And there was even some, I think, some car theft in the middle of it. Just really a lot of bad decisions in a row. Uh, alcohol was involved, and, and, and at the end of it, um, mom and dad are talking to me about their kid, and could you talk to him? Could you, could you say something to him? And they said, he's, he's just a really good kid. He just made a mistake, and it's like, really good kids don't steal cars. You know? <laughs> really good kids don't do that, but again, it's that, that, that image, right? Oh, my kid's a treasure. 
You know, they don't, you know, you understand. And there is no normal. We're all a mess. Given the right opportunities, most of us would go further than we should. And so, uh, and so you start being honest about that. You start giving people grace for it. And you, and you give yourself a little grace for it. You know you don't have it totally together either. I've talked about this before also. But, but as Christians, we believe that none of us are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, we agreed on everything. None of us are going to get to heaven and God is going to say to us, you and I were 100%. Finally, you're here. <laughs> for all eternity, all these knuckleheads, but now somebody I can talk to. God's not going to say that, and we know that, right? We know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be some things that God did not agree with us on. There's going to be some things that God, and, 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 and we looked at completely different. And so it's going to be, I, I think, pretty powerfully embarrassing. We're going to get to heaven and, and, and be embarrassed that, that we're there, and God takes us into heaven anyway, and we know that will happen. That God's going to take us into heaven anyway, even though, even though there's all that sin. God is going to take me into his perfect heaven, even though I've made mistakes, and I won't let somebody into my kitchen. I won't loan somebody my socket set because they never brought my rake back. After all God has done for me, I could then turn that on somebody else and say, well, yeah, but look what they did. I mean, part of this verse is accepting your own sin and realizing that if God accepted me when there was just no reason in the world to do it, how can I not then be accepting to other people in the middle of their stupid uh, behavior? So that's the first thing. The first thing, people will matter to you. second thing, you're going to start to see your own rough edges. And the third thing, your opinion on what's disputable is going to start to change. Sometimes as Christians... We just want to bark at people. We just want to bark at people. And it's not just in church we do it. We do it all the time. We just want to bark at people, tell them how wrong they are. And I'm not saying that there's not a time for that. There, there, there is. It's just, it's just I think we, 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 we swing to that easy. And we jump to that fast. And, and sometimes parents can do it. And you'll see parents talking to their own kids in a, in, a, in a tone and in a fashion that if it was any other kid in the world, that kid would just leave. And the parent's putting the kid down and, and the kid's just supposed to take it. Or, or the other way. Kids talking about their parents or to their parents in such an angry and disrespectful tone that if it was any other adult, the adult would just take off. I think if you really applied this verse, you'd start seeing that a lot of the stuff we fight about isn't we're fighting about. And a lot of the stuff we get mad about and want to bark about, it's just not worth that. That there's bigger fish to fry. I don't know if, um, as a minister, I've had to negotiate with people and talk to people when they've been cheated on, and, and I don't know if you've ever had to talk to somebody in that situation or not. It's, it's painful, and uh, I never saw it coming, and, and all the betrayal and all that kind of thing, and, and maybe even some anger, you know. I just hope that one day they suffer for what they did to me, because it hurts so bad, and Jesus is confronted with a story like that once. Uh, this whole crowd, he's teaching, and this whole crowd of people bring a woman 
and they toss her in front of Jesus and they say, we caught her in the very act of adultery. And the law says to stone people like that, what do you say? And they don't care about the woman. They're really wanting to get Jesus. And the trap of this is if Jesus says, yeah, go stone her, then the crowd's going to see him different. The crowd's been impressed with Jesus because he has so much grace. And if he says, yeah, go stone her, then they're going to turn on Jesus. Or if he says, no, let her go, then, then they can say, oh, okay, so you don't care about the law. So that's the trap. And they're using this woman as a pawn in the whole thing. They don't care about her. And she's terrified. And so Jesus doesn't say anything. He, he says he gets on his knee there, and he, and he starts drawing in the dirt. And, uh, but they don't quit. Come on, Jesus, tell us what you think. What are we going to do with her? And so he stands up, and he says, whoever has no sin can throw stone first. And he goes back down, and he starts drawing in the dirt. And, uh, and again, Jesus is really kind of not talking to her either. They've used her as a pawn, and so Jesus doesn't really stop that from happening. He talks above her and above the crowd, above the, the, the mob that took her to him, and talks to the bigger crowd out there. And so Jesus has turned the trap around on them is what he's done. And it's, it's real clever, just that part of it, as a logic thing. He's basically, whoever has no sin can throw the first stone. So if any of these guys throw a rock at her, the crowd's going to say, man, what kind of hypocrite are you? And the crowd's going to turn on whoever does that. And Jesus has turned the whole trap around on them. And so the oldest guys there drop their rocks immediately, and they take off. And then eventually the younger guys leave too, and it's, it's just Jesus and this woman. And he's drawn. So maybe he's down there on eye level with her. It says he was, he's drawn the whole time and while they're doing all this, and she's been thrown in front of him. So maybe they're both down there at eye level. And, and so he asks her, where's all the accusers? And she says, they're gone. There's no one. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm not going to condemn you either, but go leave your life of sin. So, so he tells her that she's on the wrong path. But, I mean, she knows that, right? She's been thrown on the ground here in front. I mean, she's this close to losing everything. And, 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 and it's not just when she's found, when she's her of the whole thing, because they want to kill her. So she's got that to deal with. But there's also this notion that I've had that all kind of carefully hidden. People didn't know about this affair. It was a secret thing. Home is home and school is school and church is church. And this was just one of the compartments I had off to the side. And so that's over. Everybody knows. Everybody will be talking about this for weeks. We're still talking about it now. I mean, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And, and, and it's going to be a story that spreads right? And she knows that. And, uh, and Jesus has every right. You know, when he says, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. There was one guy in the circle who could have thrown a rock. It was Jesus. But he doesn't. When we think about this verse again, what's disputable? Should she have cheated? No, that's not disputable. I mean, the Bible's real clear about that. Uh, and Jesus is clear about that. Go leave your life of sin. What's disputable is, is what God's going to do about it. Everybody assumes that God will be just as, as mad and angry and hateful as we are. And he's not. And I'm not excusing anything. I, but I, I know there are people who come into here and they feel like whatever they've done is such a big deal that they would be flabbergasted if, if, if even the row they're sitting on knew everything. They'd be horrified if, if just a, if, if a dozen people here knew everything. They, they wouldn't want it. And we think the very worst thing is that we'll be exposed and, 
and be found out because then nobody's going to care. And yet, and yet God cares. And he knows everything. I think it's such a powerful thing that he's done for us. And, and because he's done that for us, I think we've got an obligation to do it for everyone else. They won't be saved by our judgment. They'll be saved by our grace. And that's what we're called to. I'm of the band come back up and I want to pray with you. So pray with me here. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group. I pray, Father, for them. There may be somebody here today uh, who's got some pretty big walls up between you and them. And, and if that's true, God, then I pray you, you give them the courage to lower some of that down. I thank you, God, for your grace, for sinners like me, and, and, and how you took me in, God, even though you saw all my sin. You saw everything. Nothing was hidden from you, and you took me in. Help me, God, to be gracious to people when I don't even know all their issue. I, I see what I see, but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know everything that's happening. Give me the integrity, God, to, to call sin, sin, but also the, the, the strength, God, to, to be gracious like you were. I know, God, that there are some hurts in our church that are so mountain-sized that there's no way you can just okay, I'll just forget it. It doesn't work that way. And I know that. I know, God, there are some hurts that are so mountain-sized that it may take a long time to even get close to obeying a verse like, like that one. But God, I pray even in those situations that you give me just a little more grace today than I had yesterday. I thank you, God, for your, your kindness to me and to us. Help us to be kind to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up? Uh.